This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday, November 18th, 2014. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Charlie Manson's getting married. Hey, Charlie, where are you registered? State of California, penal system of California, cell block G, list goes on. The bride will take Mr. Manson's name. The groom will take seven lives in 1969. Across LA, a hundred reality show producers are saying, why didn't we think of that and slapping their foreheads and realizing there's no swastika carved up there and vowing to up their games? Here's a detail. Each California prison designates an employee to be a marriage coordinator. That is a plum gig, huh? I want to hear from this particular civil servant. Well, I was always suggesting orange as a ceremony's color palette. It was just a natural fit. And you know, Sirhan Sirhan is somewhere crying in his jail cell. Am I not good enough? I mean, I'm happy for Charlie, sure, but why am I always the bridesmaid? And I especially like this argument. I've been hearing this one a lot. You have too. Charlie Manson could get married, but in several states, gay people can't. Look, those are two injustices connected by the same verb. It's not really a good argument. Actually, I bet a lot of the most vociferous opponents of gay marriage would be fine with two men marrying if one of the men were Charlie Manson. Manson is next up for parole in 2027. He will be 93 years old and particularly damaging to his chances for parole. He will be Charlie Manson. On the show today, I spiel about a bold idea for subway etiquette. We engage in the Jonah Lair edition of Is That Bullshit with Maria Konnikova. But first, the least earth-shattering news I can think of, but it's relatable and it's infuriating. Parking ticket injustice, an investigation. Sometimes you come across a story that is just so harrowing, so unusual, and so disturbing that it must be explored. Mr. Joshua Sebastian of Chicago, Illinois, has such a story. Hello, Mr. Sebastian. How are you? When did the incident in question occur? You know, I believe uh, it happened on a uh, Thursday. It all ended on a Thursday. I uh, uh, had parked my vehicle on a Tuesday, and by Thursday it was missing. Tell me about your decision to park, where you parked, why do you decide on your parking spot? Well, I try to uh, manipulate the city any way I can, I guess. I don't pay for a city sticker, so I park on free streets where you don't need city stickers or uh, parking passes. Mm-hmm. Which area of Chicago is this? Uh, it'd be Wicker Park. Wicker uh, Park. Which is a, uh, you know, I guess that's the hip neighborhood. I guess so. And so there you are parking your car. What kind of make and model is it? Uh, F-150, 93 F-150, Ford. So Ford, most popular model of pickup truck. So on this occasion, you had parked it on a Tuesday, and when did you return for the car? Uh, A Thursday. A Thursday, which isn't unusual. You thought that you'd be in the clear. Did you find your car upon your return? I did not. It was uh, completely gone and newly shoveled. So your first instinct was what? Theft? Foul play? I had knew I got in towed after... um, investigating the area, I guess. Uh, there were a few things that 
uh, led me to believe that. Uh, fresh soil uh, dug up uh, on the ground and two brand new handicap parking signs. Wait, let's go back for a second. What were new? What was new? Two brand new handicap parking signs. In the exact place that you had parked your truck? From one end of my bumper to the other end of the bumper. Right, and you say there was freshly ground mud or dirt, some earthen material around the sign. Yes, sir. Hmm. I believe it was February, so they had uh, they couldn't just throw fresh soil in there. They left it out and filled it in with concrete, I believe. Okay, what's your next step? There's a non-emergency line in the city of Chicago, 311. I called 311, and I had asked the dispatcher uh, if they had my vehicle and uh, uh, said that they didn't have it, so she transferred me to the city pound. City pound uh, said they didn't have it. Uh, but I found it hard to believe that it had been stolen and then two brand new handicap parking signs were in its place. Right. One or the other would be believable. But yes, I understand. So how did you find the truck? Um, after probably six or seven phone calls, I finally speak to the same uh, dispatcher. And she said, sir, is it possible your vehicle's just been stolen? And I go, you know, I, I just find that hard to believe. But sure, let me, you know, make a, a police report. So she transfers me to the Chicago Police Department, and uh, the officer says, um, well, we don't take stolen police vehicle reports anymore. Uh, but he goes, let me see if we have it. Uh-huh. So he took my uh, driver's license number, I believe, and uh, he goes, oh, yeah, we got it. They entered the VIN number wrong. They don't be tied together, this municipality that also erects handicapped parking signs ex post and then tows violators thereof. Okay, so do you explain the situation to anyone? Do you try to fight it or do you just bail out your truck? Um, when you live in Chicago, I guess you kind of accept that things like this happen. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, uh, you, uh, how do I say it? You got to pay a tax every so often, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's getting mugged or robbed or you know, getting your vehicle towed. Yeah, mugged uh, by the city, so yeah. I, I had to pay my uh, annual A-hole tax, if yeah. you will. That's the price of uh, of hot dogs with pickles and uh, right. cool things on the bun and Bears, foot- baseball teams, Bears football, football teams, yeah. yeah, all that stuff. That's what that's the price. All right, so you pay it, you get it out, and then do you, do you let it rest or do you say, I need to know when these signs went up and what happened? I threw a fit about it for a good couple of weeks, and apparently I complained to the right person who uh, had notified me that I could find out when those signs went in, you know, when the work order went in. A, a client of mine had told me to contact the Department of Transportation because because of the Freedom of Information Act, I could obtain that information. Mm-hmm. Um, the Department of Transportation worker had the signs in, I think, by 9 a.m. that morning. Uh, I had been ticketed for parking in a handicap zone by 10 a.m. that morning, and I was towed by 2 p.m. that afternoon. You said uh, your clients. What do you do? I'm a hairstylist. What do you do, really? No, really, seriously. You're a hairstylist? I look like an iron worker, but I'm a hairstylist. With a truck? With a truck and a, and a 64-year-old motorcycle, yeah. Yeah. What kind of hair? Everyone's hair? Yeah, yeah. I work at a barber shop. Oh, okay. But, uh, yeah. And so I suppose my last question is this, Mr. Sebastian. Why do you hate the handicapped? jeez. <laughs> uh, I love them. Okay, final thoughts, uh, what you've learned from this, how you've grown, and how you're a different and better person. Not good to own a vehicle in the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, you're never going to win against the city of Chicago. All right, another satisfied customer. Joshua Sebastian had his truck towed. I'm going to say unfairly, but, you know, we'll let you in the city of Chicago be the judge. Thank you, Mr. Sebastian. Thank you very much, sir.
if you love Slate podcasts and you're incredibly talented, that's weird. No, you should work here. And it just so happens that we're hiring. Head over to slate.com slash audio jobs to learn more about our openings for an audio project manager and two developers at slate.com slash audio jobs. So I got this idea while letting my mind wander in the shower that we should talk about the findings of Jonah Lair, who wrote a book where he recommended letting your mind wander in the shower to foster creativity. And then after I got the idea to talk with Maria Konnikova, who comes in to play the game, is this bullshit with us? Hello, Maria. Hello, Mike. Maria covers science for The New Yorker and uh, does this thing on our show. But after I got the idea, it was announced that Jonah Lair described by his new publisher as one of the most gifted nonfiction writers of his generation, is in fact coming out with a new book. It's co-authored with uh, an academic named Shlomo Benartzi, and the book would be called The Digital Mind, How We Think and Behave Differently on Screen. So I wanted to go and think about the findings of Jonah Lair, or at least the findings that Jonah popularized, and just play a little Is That Bullshit about them and about him, maybe? I don't know. Is that okay, Maria? That is okay, Mike. So in the announcement of uh, his new book that's coming out, co-written, where they said he's probably not going to do a lot of press, you know, so he doesn't have to uh, take all the questions and maybe just meet Scott Simon's questions with a stony silence and a wag of the finger, let's say. The, here's how they describe what his past transgression is. In 2012, he acknowledged that his best-selling book, Imagine How Creativity Works, included quotes from Dylan that the songwriter never actually said the publisher pulled the book and months later removed a previous work, although the publisher declined to say why. So it makes it seem like, all right, he invented Dylan quotes. Is that it? No, that's actually not even the tip of the iceberg. So I always get very upset when people say, oh, Jonah Lehrer fabricated Dylan quotes. That's that guy. Yes, he did. But he'd been kind of taking liberties with his science for a while by that point. The way that he described creativity was sometimes on point. Mm -hmm. By the way, your mind can wander in the shower, and sometimes that does lead to great creative insight. But sometimes it would use some obscure study that had never been replicated, that was just kind of one finding in one journal, and created an entire chapter or entire anecdote around it. Like, for instance, a study where he argued that having blue in a room, having blue on the walls, makes someone more creative. Mm -hmm. Well, there was one study at some point that showed that, but then all replications had failed, and this wasn't really a big effect at all. So it's not something where you should start telling people, oh, the way to become creative is to wear a blue outfit and paint the walls of your room into this beautiful sky landscape. Was that the sort of study where the scientific community knew to discount it, but it kind of gained a lot of traction in pop science? Or was Lair one of the few who was really pounding that study? Lair was one of the few yeah. who was really pounding that study. It was not particularly well covered. And sometimes it would just be really doing what writers always have to do, which is take a complicated story and simplify it a little bit, but simplify it in very misleading ways. So another example is when he looked at the theory of cognitive dissonance, mm -hmm. which is this very famous theory from Leon Festinger, when he realized that people can't hold two contradictory beliefs at the same time. So what happens when something that's new in the environment contradicts something you already know? Well, either you change what you already know, 
and pretend that you never thought otherwise. So you kind of change that belief or you find a way to change the environment mm -hmm. so that the environment no longer conflicts with what you believe. And that theory is now one of kind of it's a dogma in psychology. Yeah, when you said it's a theory, it's like, wait a minute, isn't this a known thing? Oh, yeah, I guess the yeah. first it was a theory like gravity. Exactly. So this is something that's absolutely not disputed. But what Jonah Lehrer did is he went to the original book that Leon Festinger had written. And originally this theory was born out of aliens. There was a cult that had said that there was going to be this big end of the world, but because they were religiously pure and true believers, they would be beamed up by these aliens in a kind of rapture to, to be saved from the end of the world mm -hmm. by this superior alien race. And Festinger had studied this cult and that's where he realized, wait, people can really hold some wonky beliefs because the world didn't end when it was supposed to. And right away they changed their theory. They just to incorporated say, that. Exactly, exactly. So this is a very pivotal event that is kind of the basis of Festinger's work. And it didn't quite fit the narrative that John Alera was trying to build with it. So he changed it around. But weren't there dozens of people, including dozens of journalists, yes. who would, who knew that wasn't right? Yes. And, and he made excuses or he said, I'm describing yep. it just differently? That's exactly what happened. So this particular Festinger thing, I believe it was Seth Nukin who called him out on that, who emailed him and said, hey, I have the book in front of me and this is what happened. I can see where you're coming from. Jonah wrote back and said, well, we must have different editions because Ooh. my copy says that it's on this day of the week, not on that day of the week, and that they got this message, not that message. And obviously that was bullshit because yeah. when Seth then looked everything up, there is no, there is only one edition. One edition, of one that day particular. of the week. Exactly. And it happens Jonah one day. blowing in the wind. Exactly. And that happened repeatedly. There was another wonderful story that he used about this Russian mnemonist who could memorize all of Dante's Divine Comedy without speaking Italian, mm -hmm. except he couldn't. That, that, that never actually happened. He did have an amazing memory, um, and he was truly gifted. And once someone read him a passage from the Divine Comedy, which he was then able to recite, yeah many years later, correctly, which is still pretty damn impressive. But not as impressive as he could do the whole book. He could do the whole book. Right. This was again corrected, mm -hmm. this time, I believe, by Daniel Bohr, who emailed Jonah and said, hey, here's the mnemonist, here's Luria's book. This is what happened. And again, Jonah said, oh, that was the one fact that was added last minute by my editor at Nature. Mm -hmm. um, that was not me. He then proceeded to make the same mistake in Wired, in the Wall Street Journal. He didn't correct it. He threw someone else under the bus for it. So, Maria, since you're a science writer who writes about studies and translates it to the public, does he ever come up in conversations with editors where you're like, you don't want to Jonah Lair this thing? Or is there any way that his example has affected you? Oh, absolutely. Especially because I write for The New Yorker. Yeah. Um, where Joan Alera was briefly a staff writer. You know, whenever I write about creativity, the piece goes through multiple fact checkers, not just one. And I often stay away from those subjects just because I don't want to be associated with the writing that he did, which is a shame because he wrote about a lot of cool stuff. And I think that it came at a very bad time for psychology because there was all of this replication crisis in social psychology at the same time. Right, which is all these famous exactly. studies which couldn't be replicated against exactly. the studies were bullshit. Exactly. Yep. And we've talked about some mm -hmm. of them on the show yep. before, like priming. And so at the same time, we have this Jonah Lehrer scandal, and he's one of the best 
known psych writers. And all of a sudden people think, well, pop psych is bullshit. They, yeah. they, they yeah. say it's not Joan Allaire, it's the entire field. So I think it has become much more difficult. It's also made me not just careful, but ridiculously careful. I mean, I footnote every single possible study <laughs> that, I can, that I can think of because I don't want to be lumped in with him. One of the reasons I finished my PhD was so that I could say, hey, I have a PhD in this stuff. Um, and I actually, <laughs> so Joan Allaire I'm, prompted you to get a PhD. In a way, he yeah. did. He was one of my inspirations. <laughs> Check out the PhD people. Say no undergraduate, single course. So with Lair, I don't want to get into the soul of him as a person, but I will say the book Imagine, beyond the invented Dylan quotes, can we say that book's bullshit? We can, and we can say in large part that how we decide suffered from the same fate. That's why it was pulled from the shelves. A couple of works of bullshit. And I will amend this conversation by noting the new book by Jonah Lair and his co-writer Shlomo Benartzi. I would just like to note that Jonah Lair and S. Benartzi is an anagram of jeer, shh, no brazen liar. <laughs> Thanks, Maria. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. And now the spiel, sacking the knapsack. Today was the coldest day of the season in New York City, meaning bulky coats and bulky feelings on the four train. One guy passed out. Another guy gets in a fight with three different people. Imagine the chances of three strangers on one train who separately are just such jerks to this one poor guy. This one guy who is just rigorously defending his right not to be eyeballed. This guy actually said, go back to England. Maybe you'll have more room on the subway in England. I have never heard a more zingless zinger in my life. Go back to England. Yes, it happens to be a very nice country with less income inequality, but most of the mores of America. Sure, I'll go back to England. By the way, there, the subways, the tubes, they're actually really quite crowded. I'm going to use the go back to England idea. I got to work up that type of insult. Yeah, buddy, you want general social cohesion and a safety net? Why don't you go back to Norway? Go ahead, get going. Yeah, I'm crowding you. That's right. You don't like it? Why don't you go back to your tasteful living room, which abuts a terrace overlooking a centuries-old piazza in the heart of Palermo? Ya yuts. But that's a sidecar, because this is another episode of Train Surus, Upset Underground, Grand Central Frustration. We take on knapsacks. Knapsacks? Who says knapsacks? Go back to Bavaria, you communist. Actually, Bavaria was part of West Germany. But backpacks, let's call them backpacks. They take up so much room. The MTA, those are the guys who run the train. MTA board member Charles Merdler made this suggestion to a TV station WPIX. They've got these huge backpacks. Inadvertently, in most cases, they'll move to the left, they'll move to the right, and they'll hit somebody. I would recommend that the rules and regulations be amended to provide that you take the backpack off when you get into the car and you carry it or put it at your feet. Sensible, courteous, and it got Merdler labeled the Daily News' knucklehead of the day. Knucklehead? Go back to 1943. Go back to Charles Barkley's vocabulary. Knucklehead. That such calumny greeted this simple request for civility perhaps says something about the constituency being called upon to be civil. But the MTA will start an awareness campaign against backpackers and man-spreaders. Yes, January is man-spreading awareness month. Who are the man-spreaders? Those are the guys who spread their legs too much on the subway, take up too many seats. 
Why and why is it that it's men who are always doing this? It must be entitlement. Mm-hmm. On that point, I say, let he who is without testicles throw the first stone. Oh, wait, figure of speech, figure of speech. But an awareness campaign? In one corner, you've got rude, angry, tightly confined New Yorkers late for work on a cold day. In the other corner, an awareness campaign. Guess who is going to win that one? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry if my knees do not touch upon the adoption of the seated position, Miss Manners. Go back to finishing school, ya yuts. What is needed is not simple common courtesy. That's not going to cut it. We need advanced nanotechnology. We need to build into backpacks sensors. Sensors so that the wearers can feel the backpack as if they were an extension of their bodies. People don't want to be rude. They just don't realize their backpack is all up in your business. So with nanotechnology... When the backpack comes into contact with the fellow rider, the wearer will know, oh, I'm engaged in contact, and that alone will curb backpack encroachment, though it may lead to another problem. Not to worry, because February is Inappropriate Backpack Touching Awareness Month. And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi, the GIST's producer, uses the kangaroo method on the F train. Sometimes the other riders object, but no one ever really directs their ire at the Joey. Claire Tennisgetter is our intern. She sticks to the extreme side of the car and seamlessly blends into pictures of happy graduates of area for-profit colleges. Joel Meyer, managing producer of Slate Podcast, never seems to find himself in a crowd on a subway platform. Of course, he's always closest to the balaclava player at the Delancey Street station, a curiously unpeopled place. Andy Bowers, executive producer of Slate Podcast, considers the third rail of subway discussions to be the third rail. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. We recommend that you do so, that you recommend a friend do so. And when you're there, leaving us a review is really quite helpful, especially if you like it. But even if you don't, you get our daily email at slate.com slash gist email. We are on Yo. We are on facebook.com slash slate gist or email us at the gist at slate.com. I always travel with an extra box of peanut M&Ms on the subway in order to beat any price offered by all those kids trying to afford a basketball team trip to Florida. Not only do I not think they're really on a basketball team, I think they just took a bunch of M&Ms, painted them red and brown, and called them peanut. Go back to the legitimate candy aisle, you yutzes. Thanks for listening.